You're listening to the Mailbox Money Podcast with Cody Burton and Rebecca Scott. So you used to live in Florida. I did. Um, where in Florida again? In Florida? Jacksonville. So Northeast Florida might as well be Georgia. Yeah. Actually, Jacksonville is one of the very first places that my husband and I, before, like when we were just dating, we ever went to by ourselves, like on our own vacation. And we had... Intentionally? Yes. Why? Uh, we were living in Tennessee at the time. <laughs> and so it was just like one of the closest beaches that was affordable that we could drive to. Makes sense. I mean, Jacksonville is the first coast. Yeah. It's the first coast you hit when you get into Florida. Yeah. So yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So we had the absolute best time in the entire world. Like to this day, we have this weird love relationship with Jacksonville. Oh, well, good. Yeah. We love it. We had his mom Venmoed us like $100 and was like, dinner on me. And we're like, $100 for dinner? Oh, my gosh. We thought that was just the most amount of money ever. Well, and the funny thing in Jacksonville, that'll get you a pretty decent dinner. Oh, we were eating king crab legs. <laughs> like, I mean, we were living our best life. Absolutely. We probably look like absolute buffoons, sunburned as always, and just, I don't know. I'm sure we were in our swimsuit cover-ups and in a nice restaurant. Just like, yep, that is how you peg the tourist in Florida easily. Oh, for sure. All the tourists are sunburned. Everybody else is not. For sure. And we were staying. We didn't even get a full Airbnb because we couldn't afford that. We just got like one room, like a shared room situation. Which good on these people. They owned a condo and then rented it out. Rented one of the rooms out technically house hacked airbnb yeah. yeah airbnb it and said that they haven't paid a mortgage like the airbnb had covered their mortgage for months that's nice yeah you know we should probably mention that in our house hacking episode because that's totally. not something we talk about as no. airbnb rooms no we and say, that's a great idea i know especially if you have a walkout basement and just airbnb the basement and then they have a completely separate mm -hmm. entrance i'm selling a house i close on a house on thursday and that's what they're doing they have a walkout basement and they can have an alley access. And so they can pull in, their guests can pull in to their pad. And it's like a covered patio Oh, and situation. even separate parking? Mm -hmm. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So covered parking and then they walk right up and they can go in and, you know, they, they don't have a kitchen. So they have to put like a, they'll put a bar situation down there and whatnot, just with like a toaster oven mm -hmm. and microwave or something of the sorts, you know, mini fridge, whatever. And then they're just going to rent it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, especially for, you know, if they're doing long-term rental, that's fine. But, like, for Airbnb, you don't need a kitchen. No. I mean, people visiting the city, they, they're they going to want to go out. They're going to, like... Especially if you're in Denver. Yeah. Throw right? a refrigerator in there yeah. for people to, like, bring back leftovers. That's all you need. The other interesting part of it is I am I was telling you that I went to that listing appointment today mm -hmm. for a one-bedroom, one-bath super nice condo right across the or not even across the street like basically attached to union station yep and they can't get renters in there it's so nice as well really they're doing short term and they're just really really struggling really why why do you think that is one bedroom um yeah i guess it's true that's the thing with and i assume that they're i mean this is a spendy unit and so i gotta think that they're probably charging too much money and it's only one bedroom you can't really split it you know so i gotta think that it's just a that's why with airbnb you don't want one bedroom yeah condos. especially luxury one bedroom right luxury one bedroom is definitely a hard sell for airbnb you have to do corporate rentals at that point yeah 
And that's the only time it makes sense. It's perfect corporate rental. But with 2020 and all that, it just had the market's not been there. Yeah. And they don't have parking. Anyway, okay, so back to Jacksonville. Yep. Um, how many how old were you when you bought your first property and how did you do it? So I got into investing when I met my partner Michael. Mm-hmm. We met uh, 2000 can't mess this up because it's recorded. <laughs> <laughs> he will know. Yeah. I'd have and to he do, will be listening. Have to do the math. It'd be 2014, I think. Gross, yeah. you're old. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have been together longer than I realized. Yeah, we're coming up on eight years. Yeah, wow, okay. So, yeah, 2014. Um, at the time, he had a um, single family that he was renting out to a friend of his. And then a he had just closed on the a four-unit building, um, I think literally weeks maybe a month before we started dating okay um really terrible shape i mean this place you know this place was an absolute shithole Mm -hmm. and lots of deferred maintenance the previous owner had let it go it was a um two-story building so two units on the bottom floor two units on the upper floor very typical quad Mm -hmm. it had a two-story deck on the back of it so, like, you walked out from the two back units, and it was kind of a shared balcony yeah, okay. on the lower unit and the upper unit. Yep. It was literally detaching and falling away from the building. Excellent. That tells you what sort of shape this place <laughs> and had been And insurance just in. still gave you the thumbs up. How? I have no idea. <laughs> but, yeah, they sure, buy that. It's falling into two pieces. No big deal. We won't cover it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that was kind of my introduction to investments was not so much buying it, but being kind of like brought along this journey. And then because I grew up, you know, around properties, my stepdad had like a handyman business. I grew up doing a lot of those fixes with him going on jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I was really handy, I tended to get thrown into the projects which is super helpful. Yeah, very helpful. And part of it was, you know, my own fault looking back. We'd get bids back from contractors and they'd be, you know, several thousand dollars. I'd be like, I can do that for 800 bucks on my day off. Like, yeah. you're not paying this money. Yeah. Let, just let me do it. Yep. And, you know, especially new relationship, you want to be helpful. You want to, like, we're so supportive. impress you the other person. So it's like, oh, look how Showing handy your I muscles. am. <laughs> oh, no, I have to do this without a shirt on. Michael, don't watch me. I'm so embarrassed. So that's kind of how I got into it was just fixing up this rental. Um, and at the time, if I'm honest, I was very against rentals. Mm. This experience actually turned me off from long-term rentals and was like, this is why you do a flip because this is never-ending work. Yeah. This is going to go on forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we got through the stabilization period, kind of saw it come together, and a couple years down the road, um, we would bought one more at that time uh, for a total of six units at that point. And then it came time to relocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really want to manage properties from afar. And did Michael's job move to Denver? Is that what happened? Sort of. So his okay. company got bought. He was in mortgage. Right. His company got bought. They were shutting down their Florida offices. Okay. And to stay with that company, we had the option to move to Buffalo, New York, 
Kay. or New Jersey? Mm-mm. And I said absolutely not. I think I, out of the two, I might have. Ah, oh, man, that's a hard one. <laughs> I actually don't know. I've never been to Buffalo. I have been to Jersey. Buffalo is so cold. It's just so incredibly cold. So cold, so yeah. much snow. Yeah. Michael, you know this. Michael's from New York originally, yeah, upstate yeah. New York. Right. He didn't really want to go back to New York. Fair. I kind of had a line of like the middle of the country mm-hmm. being, you know, Florida Beach Boy. I wasn't crossing. So that was like, if we want to stay together and make this work, we no. need <laughs> one of these states. <laughs> um, he had loved Colorado. I'm super outdoorsy. I'd never been to Colorado. Always wanted to go. Mm. You know, it sounds stupid, but like every single one of those like online, like choose the state best for you yeah. or whatever. Literally from the time I was a kid, every single one had said Colorado. So so it was an interesting opportunity. Yeah. We came out here in in a week. I was like, yep, I love it. It's not as cold as I thought. I'm down. People don't know that Denver is actually not very cold. Just kidding. It's super cold. cold. Don't come here. (laughs) Yeah, I know. No kidding. Um, Californians, you stick to where you're at. Just kidding. So, yeah. More serious about the Texans. But, yeah, but, yeah. Californians, you're welcome. Texans, you're not welcome. <laughs> what, what is that? Uh, what's that joke? Like kidding, but not kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that came about. We settled on Colorado. Uh, both were able to land pretty decent jobs out here. We didn't want to manage from afar. At the time, we did have a property management company, but they were not great. Mm. It was one of those like. They answered the phone when a tenant called at, you know, two in the morning with a leaky toilet. Mm-hmm. And then at eight in the morning, they called you. It While was... the toilet was still leaking the entire time? Or would they send somebody out there? No. They, oh. they, it was almost like they were just an answering service. Oh, like, interesting. So the tenants didn't have your number. And they handled the leasing paperwork, and that mm. was about it. So then would you then be responsible to call a plumber and have somebody go out there? Or would they call a plumber they'd be like hey the toilet's leaking you know what do you want to do and it's like obviously we want to fix it sure and they were like well here's a few of the plumbers we've had before that have done it like do you want me to call them or do you want to call like it was very weird they were adding no value essentially only that people weren't calling us in the middle of the night that was like the only value and Granted, they were super cheap. I think they charged like 5%. Oh, wow. Okay. And so like it was a trade-off. Like we knew we could get a more full-service property management company. But with the move and, you know, it just made more sense to sell it and start over. And so were you – sorry to interrupt. Were you cash flowing at the time Mm -hmm. from those properties? Like how much roughly, if you remember correctly? God, at this point I wouldn't even remember. The four-unit – I don't know that we ever truly cash flowed on it because I think with repairs. every bit we made just went into repairs. And they were little like one bed, one bath units. Mm-hmm. I've, if I remember right, when we sold it, they were renting for 680 And how much did you buy or how much did Michael buy the property for? So that, roughly. Was, that was the saving grace on this place. It was less than 100 grand. Wow. And it's because... I mean, we dumped another hundred grand into it because yeah. it was in such rough shape. Yeah. But if I remember right, the closing price was like eighty four thousand. Okay. And then we immediately dumped a hundred into it, and got very fortunate when we sold it. We sold it for just over three hundred. And if you were, I'm sorry, you said you were 
making how much on each unit? When we sold the place, I'm pretty sure the leases were six eighty. Six eighty. Yeah, but that wasn't true the whole time. When we bought it, the leases were like four hundred something because it was sure. in such rough shape. So you're making roughly you would be bringing in roughly twenty seven hundred dollars um, from the four units, and your mortgage on an eighty four thousand dollar property is like what? It was twenty five dollars. Basically nothing. I mean, a couple hundred bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so in theory, that's good. But again, if you're dumping every penny into it, then, you know, after a while, it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Um, unless you hold on to it long enough and obviously you did hold on to it long enough for it to appreciate and you to make some money on it. Yep. Yeah. We had it for a few years. We were very fortunate because the area we were in, um, all of our properties, including where we were living, was a very up and coming area Hmm. and it finally kind of up and came Mm -hmm. while we were trying to move. So we ended up making a decent bit of money on that place. We made a decent bit of money on our place. And then the other places we had were also in that same area. Mm. So we did pretty well. So you had a primary as well Mm -hmm. together. And so how long did you guys own that? So Michael owned that one when we met. Okay. Um, I think he had lived there just over a year. So when we sold, he had had that for four years, I think. Okay. So you guys just lived in that. So you had a primary, a quad, and a duplex? Yep. Got it. And so you had – tell me about the duplex. So you obviously had the quad for 84 making – Sorry, not a duplex. Another single family. Oh, another single family. Yep. Gotcha. Oh, so six total. <laughs> yep, six, six doors total. total. Okay. So the single family, how much did you purchase that for? So the single family, you've heard me tell this story on our podcast. It was $24,000 in an auction. You couldn't go inside. It was rough. Like, you know, I know home prices have gone up. $24,000 sounds crazy now. Also makes you sound like you're 100 years old. (laughs) (laughs) This was not that long ago. Cody may or may not be a boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But it was, like I said, it was in a really up-and-coming part of town. It was an area that had a reputation for being up-and-coming for the last 25 years. So nobody thought it was ever actually going to do it. Mm -hmm. And it was rough. And it was one of those places that a flipper had bought. And halfway through it, they'd gone bankrupt, which is why Mm -hmm. it was being auctioned. And we won it. We actually did really well. We won that auction by $100. Wow, that's incredible. Found that out later. That was nice to know. Super new. We didn't overpay for it. <laughs> um, so in the auction process, when you go there, is it just like it is here? Where you, I mean, essentially, because auctions are different, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, the auctions here, you essentially just like raise your hand, like 24000 you know? I mean, very standard. But then sometimes you have to do it almost like a silent auction situation where you submit offers yeah. um, silently. So how? what was that process like? So I wish this one was that exciting. Okay. This one, it was an online portal. You mm-hmm. went online on, you know, oh, mon- yeah, Monday at 8 well. a.m., I think it was. Yeah. And it was open until Wednesday at 8 a.m. I think it was 48 hours, if I remember right. Yeah. And... It did not tell you how many other bids there were. Yeah. It didn't tell you what the current bid was. Okay. It, really? It didn't? Mm-mm. No. Because this is how they do it in Kansas, and um, but they tell you what the other bid is. No. So this one, it gave you an opening bid. Okay. And that's all it told you. Wow. No okay. other bids, no winning bid. Okay. And you also didn't like 
put in a bid with like an escalation of like sure. any you know goes up by any sort of increment. Yeah. You just put in your bid, and it was basically less like an auction and more in like throw in a pool and we'll pick the winner. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So really weird. I haven't come across that again. Right. But that's how they did it. Huh. So yeah, we won it by a hundred bucks. Very exciting. Absolutely. Walked in the front door. There's no floor. You can. It's an off-grade house. You can look down. You see the joist, and then then there's the dirt. Excellent. So hope the roof was good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a process. Um, yeah. And that was one we had kind of intended it to be a flip. Okay. And just with having to put in an entire floor, the numbers didn't make sense anymore. Um, so it became a long-term rental. And at this point, were you like, were you telling Michael, we should not invest in real estate? This is so silly. Or did you start, when did you start seeing the value in it? Yeah. So I was never fully out the door. I was never like, okay. we shouldn't do real estate. Okay. We had several conversations of why are we not just flipping? Like mm. that one became a buy and hold because it had to because we just needed to make our money back. Sure. But Michael was very set. Like we need to grow a portfolio. We need to buy more holds. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you were dumping all this money into it, especially because you know I did believe that area was going to come up. Mm-hmm. I was like, let's buy a place, fix it up, and then sell it off and then we'll make money and then we can buy a bigger place and do it again right and i think you know with age comes wisdom and my perspective then was building income not Mm -hmm. building wealth right and i think that's the real difference you know if you could go back and like talk to your younger self i don't think i had any concept that those two were different things absolutely and especially one i mean i don't know did you grow up with money or parents who taught you how to use money because I I mean I did not right so I saw people who would buy real estate but I didn't know what that meant Mm -hmm. you know I thought it was rich people bragging where it's like I'm so rich I have another home (laughs) seriously I mean that's that was what it was when I was growing up yeah and I didn't have people in my life to tell me no this is investing it's much different and you should learn how to do it, or this is how you make money, or this is how you build wealth. This is how you change the trajectory of your life. Or I, my husband and I call it the step change. So every family, not every family, but a lot of families, they have a step change where they grew up poor, and then there was a one generation who decided they learned how to make money, and then every generation after that had money, right? Yep. There's that step change, and it's I am that for my family. Um, so I didn't know if you had family to like teach you, hey, this is building wealth, you're investing, or is that more Michael who kind of taught you how to do that? Definitely more Michael. So mm-hmm. I grew up solidly middle class. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't poor, but yeah. we didn't have lots of extra money. And with my family, my mom, she was kind of the sort of that step change. My grandparents, didn't have a ton, especially when my mom was growing up. It was very kind of basics. Sure. And my mom landed a good job at UPS. So we were, you know, fairly comfortable. Like I said, solidly middle class. But she would never had anybody to teach her about investing or what to do with money. Mm-hmm. And with UPS, she, that was only, she got that job in college. Only job she'd ever had. Working towards a pension. all that sort of stuff, there wasn't this need to be savvy and invest right? because it was just already taken care of. 
That was my mom. I mean, she hasn't cashed out because she's being stubborn. She has a pension. That's mm-hmm. her only investment or means of retirement. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And so, yeah, it wasn't anything that was ever discussed around my house. Money was not like money wasn't really something that we ever talked about. Right. Same because it's tacky. <laughs> and I'm winking as I say that because it's not tacky. It's actually super important. It's crucial to talk to kids, pe- your peers, people above you. It's super, super important to talk about money. With yeah, your, with we have your a whole peers. podcast talking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So important, especially for you ladies out there. Anyway, okay, so you you decided you've bought into real estate. Yep. You held on to this property um, to make some money, and then all of a sudden, you guys are uprooting your lives, and you're moving to Colorado. Yep, uprooting, moving to Colorado. We decided we needed to sell the properties because we didn't want to manage from afar. Did you do that before or after you left Florida? So the initial one, the one with no floor, mm-hmm. that one we sold before we moved. Okay. Did you put a floor in it? <laughs> yes, we had long put a floor nice. in it. A friend of ours had been living there, took great. great care of the property. It was actually super cute. Good. We talked. We actually had talked about it a couple times that if she ever moved out of that place, we would move into it and mm. rent our place because it was just mm. it was smaller, but it was cuter. Yeah, stained glass, nineteen twenties house, adorable, lovely. Um. So yeah, we sold that one beforehand. The quad we had under contract by the time it came up to move but it wasn't sold yet okay and then our house same sort of thing we had it under contract um hadn't sold when we moved but sold shortly after okay unfortunately we did not know about 1031 in so we had a huge tax bill Mm. um and if you don't know what that is either we have an episode coming soon about it so stay tuned yeah um, but yeah, so paid a huge tax bill, moved out here, um, immediately started to look to reinvest. Um, by this time, I'd, and that was actually, our move was really what sold me on buy and hold mm. because of how much money we made just by holding those properties for a few years. Mm, yeah, We made way more than we ever could have in a flip. And we had had rental income the whole time. The quad had paid for a lot of the repairs, yeah. you know, not the major ones, but the minor ones. Sure. And we'd cash flowed on the other two the mm-hmm. whole time and made a pretty good lump sum when we sold it. That's great. And that wouldn't have been possible if we had just flipped it in six months. So it was actually going through the process that actually made me a convert. Like I had to do it and see it worked to yeah. be like, oh. This is way better than flipping. This is what we need to be doing. And that is so important. What you just said is going through the process is completely different than advising people to go through the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say because this is how it was, but I was advising people to buy a house and yeah, it was just retail. So it wasn't end all be all, but um, I was helping people buy a house while still renting. I never bought a house before. You know, and so when we bought our first house, I was like, this is so different. Mm -hmm. It's so important to ask your realtor questions like, how many doors do you own? You know, how many houses? Have you done it yourself? Because I know I know realtors that we work with that they have never bought a house before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I see it way more often than I would like to admit. And it's that's one of the things that is always a huge red flag personally. Um, so you're completely right. Once you go, go through the process, 
you learn a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am pretty proud of the fact that I have never helped a client do something that I haven't done first. It's incredible. Which not many people can say. I absolutely agree. So, yeah, I like to, especially talking to investors, Yeah, I kind of like to open with that. Like, There's I never sold a duplex before I opened a, or owned a duplex. I never sold a commercial property before I had personally bought a commercial property. And there's nothing that's going to happen to you that I haven't done already. Right. You know, I mean, that's there's a lot of power in that sentence alone. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then you moved out here. Yep. Bought a property. Moved out here. We rented for a year, kind okay. of learned the area. Um, bought our primary house. Mm-hmm. Once we had that settled. Same we one could... that you live in now? Yep, same one we live in now. Nice. That was our first house in Denver. Cute. Loved that house. Yeah. Um, so once we got that kind of settled, then we turned our eye towards investment Mm -hmm. and, you know, tried to find some deals, tried to figure it out so much doing it on your own, even after having owned a, you know, a handful of places at that point, Mm -hmm. you get performance from people, they're missing HOA, taxes are wrong. Yeah. You, it's just kind of a mess. You have people, this is a 10 cap, this is a 12 cap and even, with our limited knowledge then I'm like no it's not and so it sounds great on paper but then you see it on paper and you're like there's absolutely no way yeah you're accounting for all. half of my expenses right yeah or they don't have property management on there they don't just all sorts of things yeah so we got a little discouraged with it you know not a lot we were always moving forward um then Michael met Jen Reinhardt mm. who you know co-worker of ours how I ended up at Atlas, mm-hmm. and she would not mind me telling this story. It's quite funny. <laughs> um, Michael, so Michael is a lender uh, with KeyBank, had a client. Jen was their agent, and buying a duplex here in Denver, if I remember right. Um, and Jen would not send him the contract. Just wouldn't do it. And, you know, she'd call and tried to talk this client into using somebody else and called Michael, you know, you don't know what an assignable contract is. Like we do things a little differently. Like this is just, isn't going to work. You know, I needed you to tell the client this isn't going to work and he wouldn't do it. And so like, it I was... did not know the story. <laughs> you didn't know the story. No, I've never heard this. This is amazing. Oh, this is a fun story. This is cracking me up. So it's one of those things. It was two kind of stubborn people. Yeah, for sure. You know, butting heads and, Eventually, Jen sent him the contract, and Michael handled the deal really well. And through that, then Jen, you know, somehow they got onto the line that, you know, we had been investors. We were looking to invest again. And, yeah, the rest is history. We worked with Jen to buy a few properties. That's how we placed the money that we got in Florida. And then we've grown our portfolio ever since. That's hilarious. I did not know that. The first time I met Michael was when we were doing yoga up in the attic in our old office. Okay. So you met him after the steam had blown over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I only heard wonderful things about Michael. And I was like, awesome. Like, that sounds great, you know. But I was using somebody else at the time. And and I wasn't that into investment stuff quite yet because I was just kind of getting my feet underneath me. Um, yeah, so that's funny. Yeah, that is funny. But, yeah, it did not start all sunshine and roses, yeah. even though, you know, they love each other now. And totally. And we have gin over for dinner and yeah, whatever. Absolutely. That's great. So going through this process, what's kind of looking back, if you were to tell the younger self one bit of advice, 
what would you what would you tell your younger self? Uh, one thing is difficult. I think the my initial bit of advice would just be just do it. Like yeah. you know, jump on I, in the water's warm. Yeah, and yeah. I think there was a bit of that too of like, you know, is a flip better is a buy and hold better is I mean, the answer is yes, buy and hold. That's better. Sure. But just do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I would really tell myself of like, just get started. Yeah. And I would also explain to myself what house hacking was. Because, yeah. oh my God, had I known what that was at 21. I know. It'd be. Different. Completely different. Yep. You know, I, I wish I had known what house hacking was. And I wish I had known what a 1031 is. Yeah. And, you know, our we've grown our portfolio. I'm very happy with how it's performing. But to get those initial four years back and be able to snowball that, we'd be in a totally different place. The first three to five years are probably the hardest. Absolutely. Especially when you're in an expensive market, as we are. You know, Florida is a great place to start because you can actually get into something for, you know, eighty-four, twenty-four thousand dollars, right? is not that way. Um, and so it is interesting. The first couple years is so hard. A lot of people, that's when they lose their steam. And that's when like, this isn't working. This isn't working. It's like, just stay consistent, stay on the course that we have planned. And I promise you it'll work out. Once you kind of get past that five year mark. That's when you really start seeing things snowball. Yeah. 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 And I think I was really fortunate to see that pay off a lot quicker than most people. Mm. Because like I said, the area we were in, we got very, very lucky that what people had had been saying was up and coming for 25 years Mm -hmm. actually started to explode Mm. just right about the time we moved. Yeah. And so seeing that early victory Mm -hmm. just catapulted both of us, I think, to be like, yeah, this is the right course. So... Kind of going back, when you left Florida, how much money did you actually walk away with all of your properties? How much money did you have that you, one, could have 1031, but did not? Mm-hmm. How much did you, were you able to place here in the Denver area? You know, at this point. And it can be ballpark. Yeah, it'd have to be ballpark. I don't really remember. But I think probably 400000 So you walked away after three to four years of starting investing in Florida, mm-hmm. right? Walked away with 400 grand and then started buying places here in Colorado. Yep. And then did you buy like four different either quads, duplexes or whatever it was plus a single family? Yeah, so we bought our single family first and then from there we really focused in on quads mm-hmm. just because that's the largest you can get with yep. traditional financing. Of course. Um, so we really focused in on quads. We bought one in Brighton. We bought one out in Aurora. Um, those are our first two. And I don't remember which one was the third one. Sure. Um, so we did that. And then the other thing we did, which we actually learned from Jen that we didn't know about because Michael left his company. He had quite a bit in a 401k there. Mm. He rolled it over into an IRA like you do when you leave a company. Yep. And we actually bought two properties in the IRA as well, nice. both in Colorado. Okay. Um, so that was a really nice start yeah. to our portfolio because we had that money you know, sitting there ready to go. So then once you kind of deployed all of that capital, mm-hmm. how long did it take you after that 
to continue to buy? Were you, um, cause Michael, and I mean, you are too, but Michael's a high income earner. Mm-hmm. Um, was he constantly just you saving enough money quickly enough to continue to buy? Or did you start, you know, he locking it out and refinancing at that time? Yeah, no, like, you know, like the joke we say, you know, any true investor, they buy as soon as they have the money. Yep. And that's what we did. We basically yeah. were off to the races. As soon as we had enough money to buy another place, we were buying another place. Yeah. And so, you know, we've kind of, like, we live a nice lifestyle, but we do what we can to keep our expenses low. We're not driving around. I mean, you know, neither of us have a Mercedes. Right. And so, yeah, we try we try to sneak away as much money as we can. And as soon as we have enough for another one, we buy another one. So have you started HELOCing and, and refinancing properties to get to pull cash out on any of them? Or are you not playing that game yet? Not yet. So we, all of those first places, you know, we've just continued to grow our portfolio by saving up and mm-hmm. doing the down payment that way. Um, we have done a line now that is against our portfolio, mm-hmm. like a business line, because sure. we have everything in an LLC now. Yep. Um, and we've used that a couple times to buy places when deals have come up that have just been too good to say no to yeah. when we haven't necessarily had the money. Mm-hmm. And like a HELOC, it's a great way to do that because you have the money sitting ready when a deal presents itself that you can't say no to. You don't have to say no because yeah. it's not like, oh, well, you know, we're six months out from having enough for it. You've right. got that sitting there. Right. So that's kind of what we've done. We've leveraged okay. against our portfolio as a whole. Excellent. So then you're investing in all these deals, you and Michael both. You're not working at Atlas yet at the time. No, not yet. So how how long did it take you? How long did you live in Denver before you started working at Atlas? Uh, so just about two years. Okay. So we moved to Denver. I was working for an events company doing yeah. festivals, things like that. Um, really enjoyed it. I had moved up to be their director of operations, mm-hmm. uh, kind of handling... Basically, all of the moving pieces of the festival, stages, lighting, uh, sound equipment, um, everything like that, all the way down to like how many dumpsters and portalettes we needed and what the electrical plans looked like for all of the stages. Sure. Um, Great job. I absolutely loved it. Super exciting. Super exhausting. Most of the time at a festival, I would be working from eight or nine in the morning until two if I got to go to bed early. Sounds awful. There were nights that I was up until four and then back up at eight because there was an issue at a stage and I needed to be. I would cry. (laughs) I don't do it with no sleep. I would get sick and I would cry. (laughs) So really fun job. It was one of those things like you start to look in the mirror and think like I'm having a great time now Yeah. when I'm in my late 20s. Sure. Can I do this even when I'm in my late 30s? Yeah. So you worked that for a handful of years, and then Michael met Jen. Mm-hmm. You guys had a relation, little love relationship after um, the first incident or transaction, yeah. as we will. <laughs> and then what was the transition from you just being an investor to you actually being employed by Atlas? Yeah. So, you know, I kind of like I said, I had that look in the mirror moment, and mm-hmm. I was like, as much as I love this. There, I can't do this as my day-to-day for a career. It's yeah. just not sustainable. Yeah. And so I kind of started to think like, okay, well, if I'm going to change careers, what would I want to change careers to? 
And I thought about a whole diff- bunch of different options. I thought about starting my own business, just, you know, running through all the ideas. Of course. And it kind of came into my lap. We were having dinner with a couple of Michael's top referring realtors. And they knew we were building portfolio. They knew we were buying frequently. And we're just kind of like, why don't you do real estate? Like, and it wasn't even like a suggestion. It was a legitimate like, why aren't you already doing yeah. this? <laughs> and yeah. it was one of those things that's, you know, sometimes when something's too close to your face, you can't see it. Right. And so it was a bit of a light bulb. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I thought I could bring over a lot of the skills I had managing really complex things um, over to real estate and managing deals. Sure. So. I went to get my license, you know, I think one night we were having Jen over for dinner and I told her I just, you know, just started the thing and I didn't have much of a choice to go anywhere else. She was like, oh my God, we're going to hire very you. This persistent. Is gonna be great. Yeah, she's a very <laughs> persistent person. She doesn't take no for an answer. So, and, and honestly, it made the most sense, right? Like, yeah. I don't know that it would have been really weird to end up somewhere else while we're also growing this portfolio with Atlas, having it managed by Atlas. I mean, at that point, we That's already... what I was going to ask. Is, was Atlas managing all of your properties at that time? Yeah. Okay. Atlas was managing all of our properties. At that point, we'd already bought in multiple states with Atlas. Okay. So it was one of those, you know, Jen didn't give me another choice, but yeah. any other choice would have made no sense. Right. You would have come to that conclusion yourself as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I started with Atlas and then, you know, learned from managing my own deals, managing yeah. other people's deals, which... How, how was the transition? Because most people go the opposite, where mm-hmm. they learn how to do transactions for other people, and then they start buying themselves. They see that it's too easy and that they're no different than anybody else, and they should start buying their own property as well. You kind of went backwards, where you... It's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where you started, you were transacting so often that then you became a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. And so what was the what was it like going from that side? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. People are different mm-hmm. than me. And yeah. I think that was the realization I had doing this as a business of like, you know, things would come up in inspection. Because especially like, you know, we'd bought some really rough places. Sure. I, don't, I already talked about that. Like, yeah. And so things would come up in inspection. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Like, that's not a big deal to handle at all. And I would have, like, fairly seasoned investors I was working with that would just freak out. Like, Mm. we need to kill this deal. This is terrible. This is never going to make money. And it was nice having the experience I had because I was able to say, like, I've actually taken on a much bigger project than this. Right. And let me tell you how it went. Yeah. So, but that was an interesting thing, just trying to um, understand people's perspectives, Mm because I think some of my early clients, I maybe came off as a little passive, Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, yeah, this is no big deal, when for them, it was a big deal. Right. It is an interesting thing, because people put emphasis on different things, and Mm -hmm. they hold higher regards to different aspects of the house. Yeah. In some areas roofs are extremely important and really expensive yeah and it's imperative that they have a nice roof before they move into the house we're here in colorado we're like eh, it'll hail in the next couple months <laughs> like just wait till then and insurance will pay for it and you'll pay a thousand bucks for whatever your deductible is yeah. right and so i i 
bet that is true where you were not worried about so many things and other people, it was just a really big deal for them. And you were confused as to why that was such a big deal. Yeah, that was a learning curve navigating like, okay, what is my client going to think a big deal Right. versus what I think a big deal? Because I don't think this is a big deal. Yeah. And how do you set the expectation before letting them know that this could pop up, but it's actually not a big deal yep. and here's why, you know? Yeah, I think that was a big thing. And then also just realizing on the retail side that I really needed to explain things well. Because mm -hmm. that was my other thing. I think I was so used to it from a client perspective. I just, okay, we're going to go under contract, get our earnest money turned in a few days later, get an inspection set up, we'll negotiate that, appraiser's going to come. Like, I just knew all of this. And a lot of times, like, a client would, you know, I'd be like, okay, you know, earnest money is due, the state, and they're like, what's that? Mm, yeah. And so just realizing, like, people don't understand the home process. Oh, not at all. People will go all the way through, <laughs> close on a home, and still not know the process. Yeah. And I say that very clear. I mean, some of my best friends, we close, the house that I close on tomorrow, Thursday, whatever day it is, uh, on Thursday, and I guarantee you, if I were to ask them what XYZ is, even though I've explained it a hundred times, they all have no idea. Yep. For example, we got a new sewer. We had to get an all a brand new sewer for them. They keep texting me and asking me, how's the pipe going? I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not just a pipe. It's a sewer. It's a sewer line. It's a much bigger deal. It holds different things than a normal pipe. It's not just like <laughs> pipe to your garbage disposal or whatever. <laughs> So it is funny what people, how much people don't know. Yeah. You know, and if you've never been around it, I mean, so many people have, their families have never owned a home before. Yeah. You know, and we don't really think about it like that, but it happens. Um, okay. So what, what would you say if you were to tell people, hey, don't do what I did, what would that be? Don't sell your property and pay a bunch of taxes on it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, classic. I mean, that that would be the number one. Just, yeah. again, that snowball effect. You look back and just we could have deployed all that money. Yeah. Like, it'd be a game changer. Sure, for sure. So I think that would be, you know, looking back, telling somebody else that, especially somebody that's already an investor, like, mm -hmm. don't cash out and pay a bunch of taxes. 1031 to a larger property. Sure. Um. That would be that'd be the biggest thing I would hammer because that tax bill was painful. Yeah, absolutely. And also, don't use TurboTax for stuff like that. Oh, that's a good bit of advice. Yeah. Absolutely. Get a CPA, a good one, mm -hmm. a real estate investing CPA Yeah, because they know. So, And I have a big story about that, but I'll save that because we'll do a yes. tax episode soon. Absolutely. We might even bring somebody in for that. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for going deep. And yeah. letting us, you know, talk real numbers because I feel like so many people don't like speaking real numbers mm -hmm. just because either they feel uncomfortable, they think it's tacky, maybe they feel like it's braggy, you know. Um, so I appreciate that honesty and transparency. What's next for you guys? Yeah, so we are continuing to grow our portfolio. Um, our goal is to hit 100 units, 100 doors. Um and at that point, then we're going to start branching out. Um, we're not super far away from that now. We should hit that probably sometime early next year, if I had to guess. Um, and then we're going to start branching out into short-term rentals. So that'll nice. be our next 
growth of our portfolio is buying some short-term rentals in really kind of key markets and seeing how those perform. Because at that point, we'll have a really good base with our long-term, you know, traditional rental units. Yeah. And so we can experiment. And if it goes a little wrong and, you know, doesn't work out, like we have a cushion there. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. I have a couple friends that have gotten into the short-term game and I'm a little jealous because it's a you know new frontier that you get to learn and yeah. figure out. It's a little bit sexier side of real estate. Definitely as well. sexier for sure. Yes, um, we do not do sexy <laughs> real estate, but no. that's okay. Our people make money. Yeah, we make money, so that's all that matters. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be yeah. a new thing to learn, and then also you know. Back in college, I toyed around with the idea of being an interior designer. Mm. That was one of my original kind of career paths I looked at. Yeah. So getting to exercise that a little bit um, by designing and you know building out the interior of short terms, I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to what the next few years holds. Of course. Well, we can't wait to watch you go through it and learn from your mistakes, your triumphs, Everything in between, um, you'll have to keep us posted on every property that you buy and sell, and we'll just talk through every single one as you go through it. And if you want to stay up to date, check out our next episodes and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, guys.